It was fun. Yeah. Hey, can you do me a favor, though? Uh, uh, for those of you who have seats, can you just go like this? Go like a little bit in your seat. Yeah. And rub, lean back. Everybody lean back. Some of you are looking at me really strange. Lean back. Now, get, make sure that seat's nice and comfortable and warm. Are you rubbing up against it? Stand up. Everybody stand up. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Stand up. Now, pretend you're my dog, Boo, and shake yourself off. And I want to thank you for helping us clean the seats. In the, uh, we vacuumed them all, but I, somebody said yesterday, we can be vacuuming this carpet and these seats for months and still not have them clean because that little white speckles of dust, it's everywhere. We're home before home is really ready for us to be there. So we gathered to make it a little bit more ready. But isn't this perfect? Look around. I mean, look around. You walked through unfinished rooms. You, you weren't even able to use the main walkway up, which will be from the street this way. Might be ready next time we're here next Sunday. We're not sure of the three-day week for working uh, this week. And all around us is the reminder of something sort of finished and not finished, something in process. We actually are making the best of worshiping in a relative mess. Uh, and it's a good reminder, I think it's a perfect reminder of what the church is about and the way that uh, we live. We didn't plan it this way. These sermons are scheduled at least. We only work on them the week before we preach, but they're, they're generally scheduled, the themes and the ideas. We do that, uh, we get together, we think about what's, what's the Spirit of God leading us to and what does our church really need to hear and uh, all the pastoral staff get together months and months and months ago to plan this. And this is the week. We thought we'd be in our building weeks ago. This is the week that the theme has to do with a dangerous generosity being lived out in the middle of messes. That was, that was the theme. And here we are worshiping for the first time in the middle of this dusty mess, trying to make the best of the mess, surrounded by relative mess this morning. There's nothing quite like doing Christianity in the middle of messy chaos to test our ability to live with dangerous generosity, is there? I mean, messes, I can't study in a mess. Yes, yet if you've seen my office, you know that's the only option. <laughs> we have uh, two families living in our home, which I love, but it means there's more stuff around, right? It's, it'll really test you especially if you really like a nice environment. But that's this morning's message. And I've entitled the message, uh, appropriately, I think, Pig Pens, Christian Remodels, and Sloppy Wet Kisses. I mean, those are just things that I thought were pretty messy. Pig Pens, Kitchen Remodels, and Sloppy Wet Kisses. Because if I read Jesus correctly, that title represents not only the messy world that Jesus assumes we'll encounter as followers of Christ, the messy world in which we will be committed to living out his heart of grace and generosity. But it also represents for us the messy gospel community will become in doing it. We are a messy gospel community of people with all sorts of limps and broken bones in different stages of discovering Christ. Still, some of us were part of this community of seekers and followers of Jesus. Some of us are yet unconvinced. We're convinced about the friendships we have here and the hunger we have 
in wondering what this Jesus message is about, but we're yet to be convinced that he's worthy of following and giving our whole lives to, and living and sitting right next to in worship services like this, people who have been following Christ faithfully for years and are rather refined in their commitment to him. We live in a messy world, and we're living there, living out the Christian message in what Jesus assumes will be a rather messy Christian community. This is a call to live with dangerous generosity in the context of any and every mess we encounter. And we encounter plenty of messes. This message is a reminder that just as is true in this facility, in the world, we're sort of home before home is ready for us. We live with hope. We live with a vision for what the world will be. We live with a growing understanding of what God's preferred agenda is for humanity and for earth, for the environment, for the people we see every day on 101, north and south. Yet, it's not ready yet. And we ache inside when we see people living in ways that are not quite what God dreams of for them. Yet, we're committed to that mess. And if we're going to be honest about it, we're contributors to the mess. This morning, I want to take some of the parables of Christ. We're going to be all in Matthew chapter 13. But Jesus is speaking and teaching in parables, telling stories, giving illustrations. And in those parables, discover some of the options for the messes that we live in. Because that's our duty, to live with dangerous generosity even when the messes around us are pushing on that commitment. Let's pray. Now, God, would you be our teacher? Would you send your Holy Spirit or awaken him in us? That divine seed that you implanted in all of us, cause it to speak. Filter our ears for any other voice so that we hear only that voice right now. I mean, can you just give us at least 30 minutes of clarity, of strength, of hope, of courage. In the name of Christ, amen. We are called to be a messy community and to live out dangerous generosity in a messy world. And that mess is rather diverse. We have, first of all, the mess of disappointment, discouragement, and apparent failure. As a Christian community, we look all around us, and if you look from one dimension, from one angle, it can appear as though there's nothing but disappointment, discouragement, and apparent failure. In Matthew 13, beginning at the first verse, Jesus addresses that and other things, but namely that in our context, as he teaches in this first parable. That same day, Jesus went out of the house, and he sat by the lake, Large crowds were gathered around him, so he got into a boat, sat in it, and while all the people stood there on the shore, so you have Jesus, the floating stage, the water helping him project, people are all there listening. And then he told them many things in parables, and here's one of the parables. A farmer went out to sow seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. The birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. Uh, In that part of the world, There are sections of land where it's pretty rocky and there might be a couple of inches of soil so it looks really good, but when plants go to take root, they hit this 
hard pan, and they don't do so well. It sprang up quickly, but because the soil was shallow, um, uh, it didn't do that well. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. You know, when you go and turn over uh, old dirt, and it looks nice and brown and ready to receive seed, but it's had weeds in it before, and you didn't really deal with that, guess which grows faster? Which, what will eventually take over? Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. And if you jump down to verse 18, he offers more teaching. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in the heart. And we have some discouragement because we share this gospel of dangerous generosity and kindness and mercy and goodness and a new start. And it looks like somebody is going to receive this message and life is going to turn around and it turns out that it doesn't. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. And there's discouragement. There's disappointment. There's apparent failure. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, choke the word making it unfruitful. Start to be overwhelmed by the realities that are coming at them from every angle. And we were together and I heard this word, this message of Jesus, this whole new start, this, oh, there's going to be hope, everything's going to be okay. And I walk out the doors of the meeting and everything's not okay. And all the stuff that was launching me into this room is still waiting for me when I leave this room. And man, I just can't make it. I'm doubting everything that made complete sense when I heard the message. And there's discouragement. And there's disappointment and apparent failure. But the seed, verse 23, falling on good soil, refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. One of the messes that we are called to live in with dangerous generosity is the mess of disappointment, discouragement, and apparent failure in this community of Christ followers because things don't always go the way we hoped they would. They don't always go the way they looked like they were going to go. People may respond differently to the gospel message, which is our goal as followers of Christ. I mean, our goal as followers of Christ is to, even though we walk into a world that's still messy and you're still tracking dust on the new carpet because there's dust everywhere out there and the walls are not painted and the windows are not clean yet and it's still a construction zone. By the way, the world is still a construction zone and every person sitting around you, still a construction zone. But people respond differently to the same gospel. And many who are boisterously here today will not be here tomorrow. And we want to feel like it's just not worth it because we put in a lot of energy and invested a lot in people's lives. When I raised my kids God's way, I was supposed to do this and get this guaranteed result. And then 
Yeah, everybody who's raised children is laughing right now. (laughs) Because they got thrown into this garbage can, this wasteland, and there's disappointment. And even this little message that says, see, those children are struggling because you were insufficient as a parent. Well, I know two things are true when that message comes. Those children are struggling, and you're insufficient as a parent. But you're probably still a good parent. But there's, dis- you know, there's discouragement and disappointment and apparent failure. And the message of Christ is this. Even when that kind of mess and destruction is all around you, even when there are fingerprints all over the glass of your life, I call you to live with dangerous generosity. Because there's nothing quite so powerful as the statement that's made when in the middle of a messy world, a community of people stands up and says, we will still love. We will still forgive. We will tell you about forgiveness. We will introduce you to God. We're not running away from the mess. And historically, the church has had some embarrassing moments in history running away from or even creating messes. But the greatest moments of the church and the purest expression of the church has been in those times of history, which is the majority time for the church, when we have, everyone else was running from messes and the Christians were running to the messes. Christians in history have always run toward the bullets, not away from them. That's one of the messes we encounter. There's nothing quite so debilitating as an unrealized expectation, and we get discouraged. But Jesus does more than warn about them. He actually guarantees them. And he assumes that a generous gospel response will still be offered by his followers. And I have a question for us to ponder, and I'll offer a question with each of these points. Here's the question for this point in dealing with this mess. Which do we hold more loosely? Our expectations or our faith? Our faith or our expectations? We ought to hold, cling to faith, but hold loosely expectations. Because when you're holding your expectations loosely, I'm not saying don't set goals, I'm not saying don't go after those goals, but you hold your expectations loosely and your faith tight. And it, it immobilizes disappointment. It renders discouragement powerless. And you can redefine failure and success because we have a pretty warped view of success. I think oftentimes what the church measures as success, God's unimpressed with. And what God, what God measures as success, the modern church is unimpressed with. And maybe we need to make some adjustments, don't you think? Which do we hold more loosely, our expectations or our faith to deal with this mess of disappointment, discouragement, and apparent failure? That's messy business, but it's the business of a dangerously generous Christian community. Second point, and a second parallel. You have the mess of belonging before believing. A Christian community, this is not my phrase, this is a well-known phrase that I've borrowed from other people, but in Christianity, in the Christian community, there must be space made to belong to the community before you actually believe everything the community stands for. People are in process with faith. This is a great challenge, not for the people who are trying to belong before they believe, 
This is, this is a challenge for the Christian community that's really good at believing and talks about belonging, but wants everybody to get their feet clean before they walk through the door. This is the boot, this is the boot washing station right in here. How is it that we, I'm getting excited now. How is it that we can demand that people clean their boots before they walk to the place that cleans boots? That's messy to say you are allowed to belong to this Christian community before you believe. In fact, even if you strongly disagree with some of the things we hold dear to us, you're still welcome to be part of us. We will live with that discomfort. And a church is most Christian, a church is most biblical, a church is most faithful when it will live in that mess and least faithful when the church demands that there be no messes. Do you get my point? That's a mess that Jesus expects of us. Now listen to what he says. I mean, these are all over the place in the parables. Listen for that theme in these parables as you read from Matthew 13, 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a person who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat. Ben, several weeks ago, Pastor Ben preached on this parable. He had a picture of wheat and tares, and they look the same when they're young. Everyone was sleeping, the enemy comes and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, the weeds also appeared. And the owner's servants came to him and said, they close examination, sir, didn't you sow good seed in the field? Where then did the weeds come from? We've got them both in the same field. Both green, both looking like they're real. The enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him this, do you want us to go and pull them up? And this is the main point of the parable. Can't go too deeply into the details of a parable. Got to step back and get the main point of a parable. No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. We'll take care of the separation later. And so in this parable, among other things, Jesus is trying to preach and teach you have the idea of, look, it is entirely normal for the people of my community to coexist with the people that aren't fully in my community. You've got wheat and weeds growing in the same field. That's a mess. But it's a gospel mess. It's a Christian mess. It's a little bit arrogant anyway, isn't it, to say only wheat allowed in here. It's sort of like you have a bad What Do you have a bad... I can just imagine God. Did, did, was that not you and me we were walking together years ago? Was that a different dude? You were a weed. And two or three days a week, you still look like a weed. <laughs> what right do you have, he might say to the church, to close your doors to someone who wants to come and check out this faith? Listen, I'll remind you, the 12 apostles, the whole time Jesus was walking with them, we're not quite sure when they got it. When did they become fully devoted followers of Christ? The day he said, come walk with me? But they sure did, they shared a lot of weird questions in the process over those three years. The point is, Jesus, who was fully true, coexisted and even invested him with patience, with a dangerous generosity, those who didn't fully understand. And some of them, not until after the resurrection did they get it. So when were they, 
Why did he make space? That's a messy business. The mess of belonging before believing. Verse 47, another one. The kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake, and it caught all kinds of fish, all kinds of fish in the same net. I like fishing. We have fish that we call garbage fish. We're not going to clean them and eat them. In fact, you get them in the net, you throw them back over. And when it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore, and they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw away the bad. My point is, good fish and bad fish, edible fish and garbage fish, for a while were all in the same basket. We dealt with separation later. Remember, we move not to a life in Christ. We move toward a life in Christ. We are people of the process. And even a faith that will eventually be discarded by the one who thought he or she was claiming it must be allowed to grow alongside a faith that will feed people and be harvested. Here's a question to ponder in responding to this mess that we choose that's actually very faithful a very faithful choice to let people belong before they believe here's a question are we generous enough with the message of Christ which is ultimately our true wealth are we generous enough with the message of Christ to allow those with whom we strongly disagree a place of friendship and conversation at our table Marin Covenant Church will be a very uncomfortable community for some followers of Christ. Because we are committed to saying those doors, they're open to anybody. Cursors of the Christ we follow. There's a seat for you. Subversive people. There's a seat for you. Folks who disagree with what we teach about human sexuality, what we're convinced Scripture teaches, or uh, uh, economics, or how best to care for the poor, or you disagree with the Christian message or our specific understanding of it, that's fine. There's a seat for you. We, we want to make room for you in our community, even before you're fully uh, on board with what we believe, even if you may never be on board with the way we understand Scripture, they'd be asking us to leave. We're dangerously generous when we say, come on in. And not just come on in as a project. Come on in, you have a piece of our heart. Come on in and be our friend, and we'll be your friend, and we'll learn from each other. That's different than saying we believe anything, anything goes. We're not saying that. Jesus asked us, the Bible asked us to be committed to both truth and love. Love and truth with equal force. And that's a tension of the faith. That's a messy commitment, isn't it? Can we just pick one or the other and be more, sing, you know, more focused? No. One without the other is poison. So that's one of the messes. I don't even know how over. Oh, I still have some time. I still have two or three hours here. <laughs> it's cleaner to do that another way. It's cleaner to be sort of monodimensional. Everybody believes the same stuff. But our commitment 
is to be a church that is pursuing the spiritually hungry and then inviting them in to a process that introduces them to Jesus and walking with each other. That's a dangerous generosity. So living with the mess of belonging before believing. And finally this from yet another parable. Dangerous generosity is committed to living with the mess of valuing potential as much as it values results. Jesus seems to get very excited about the slightest little movement, something he sees before it actually comes about, potential. He values potential. He goes out of his way to value potential and encourages us through these parables to value potential, smallness, stuff that looks insignificant to us, but Jesus is the kind of guy who looks and he says, oh, wow, man, that could really become something. I think that's one of the reasons our church is absolutely sold out to students and youth. Because there's just so much richness there. You invest in students and children, and the next thing you know, they're investing in you. Long before they, I mean, barely can walk, they're investing in you. They're reminding you of how God sees, reminding us of how God sees us, reminding us to live with hope, reminding us to not be so aware of ourselves you know, to care even how we dress. They don't care how they dress. They don't care. They're like Ben. You know, they, they'll wear that sweater right out in public and not even think twice about it. The mess of valuing potential as much as we value results. And remember this, potential rarely looks like success or faithfulness except in the eyes of God. God looks at something that could be, something that's just planted, something that's just launched, even before the person in whom it's launched realizes it. And he says, everybody stop! Everybody look at that! Can you see the angels? Look at this down here! Ooh, we're going to make something great out of that. The mess of valuing potential as well as success. Matthew 13, 31. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. And though it is the smallest of all the seeds, and we have arguments about whether Jesus was scientifically correct, that's not the point. He's speaking to a context. And everybody would have said, yeah, it's the smallest of all the seeds, or it's the smallest of all the seeds that you have laid out on the table, or it's generally accepted as the smallest of the seeds, or it's a phrase. Everybody used to know that maybe the mustard seed wasn't the smallest, but it's sort of a phrase we use to talk about the smallest of the small. You could call uh, your, your brand new grandchild the smallest of the small, and they're technically not the smallest of the small, but you know what you're trying to communicate by that. So he says, it's the smallest of all the seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that birds come and perch in its branches. And Jesus may have well been on that boat and pointing over to a field that had a mustard seed that had grown into a tree, and there were birds in the tree, while everybody looks over, making his point while he's illustrating it. 
He told him still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. And then in verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. You have these three pictures of something small becoming great, something yet unrealized. You didn't put it in your pocket yet. It's going to be there someday. But he values the potential as well as the full expression. And that's messy. When you, because potential has a dark side. There's all sorts of unrealized thoughtfulness. When I was a student, when I was a teenager, I got, I, I was talking to my best friend from high school the other day. And I said, Bill, we couldn't be in high school today. If we did the stuff today that we did back in the 70s, we'd be in jail today. There was nothing but potential in us, if you know what I'm talking about. It, it was messy for anybody to say, Bill Gard and Art Greco, I want them on my team. Come on, I'll spend my life with you. You are asking for broken glasses and crushed dishes when you ask for that. I mean, my friend Bill, you don't hear me saying this stuff, but the kind of fun we used to get to have back in the day where the teachers scolded you during the day and then went home and bragged about you at night. You won't believe what those students did today. That's the most creative stunt ever. <laughs> Senior stunts like getting his motorcycle and riding it through all the hallways of the interior. You know, we had an enclosed high school and yelling. We, we broke into the... Never mind, I'm going to quit telling you all these stories. <laughs> I'm starting to get a little nervous. Nothing but potential. But there were priests and fathers in our Catholic high school that said, oh, you guys are driving me crazy. Yet they saw something that could turn into something good in us. Loving that potential and then valuing it while it was still small. And that was messy. But it was productive. Jesus seems to expect his community to affirm potential even before it proves itself as realized faith. The mustard seed is small, yet it becomes great. The leaven is in the bread, you can't even tell it's there. Then all of a sudden, bam, the next morning you wake up, whoa, where did that come from? Wow, I never realized it had that potential. The person goes and is walking through a field and finds some treasure in the field, doesn't steal the treasure, goes back and buys the field. He values the mustard seed before it turns into a tree. He applauds the leaven before it swells the loaf. He knows the treasure is buried in the dirt, so he purchases the land. There's a whole lot of treasure buried in a whole lot of dirt, in a whole lot of people. And dangerous generosity, says, looks to me like all gold. I see what it will be, what it could be. I don't affirm what it is today, all the non-potential. But I still see what could become of that. Here's a question for us when we're dealing with that mess. Does our generosity extend to the person who is halfway to faith? Partway to faith? Do we live with open, 
affirming hands to people who are attracted to Jesus but have not yet chosen to follow him. This is related to that idea of belonging before believing. But in each human being, no matter what they're worshiping now, who they're worshiping now, the seed of God has been planted at creation. That seed needs to be watered. And people need a Christian community that's willing to carry the bucket and water the seed and live with the weeds and remember their own weeds. Valuing potential as much as we value results creates a rather messy environment, a more demanding one, but it's a dangerously, redemptively generous context. I um, preached my candidating sermon here, so I come and preach, you all vote. This was in August of 2004, I think. Is that right? Yeah, September of 2004 I came here. So I came and preached, and I preached a message called Doing Church. The messier, the better. And the message used as sort of an illustration the idea, I'm, I'm coming back, don't worry. <clears throat> the idea of a mop. Whoops. You know, I said, I want to be the pastor of a church that lives in such a way that it needs one of these in its closet and will get it out. Because the messier, the better. That was the message. This mop actually came from one of our mop closets. I'm in... I'm in Chicago at my house back then, and I had preached, and you had voted, and I'd said, no, I need more time to think about whether I should come or not. But I'm out there working in my garden in Chicago, and, and this UPS truck pulls up, and there's this long box. Now, what the heck is that? And the guy comes, and what did Brenda buy now? You know, I'm thinking... He goes, this is packaged for Art Greco. And I had no idea what it was. I opened it up, and there's this mop. This is the actual mop. And on it is written my call to come here. It says, in the name of Jesus, with grace, hope, love, and the desire to actually use this thing on a regular basis, we prayerfully call Art Greco to be our pastor. Marin Covenant Church, July 2004. Now, you see this? Jesus needs us to take hold of this thing. To be daring enough to say, not only will we not run from the messes, we'll create some of them. Because people need that kind of space. Sometimes, you're ready for home before home is ready for you. And we long for heaven. We long for things to be the way God wants them to be. And they are in process. We're ready for home before home is ready for us. God is saying, even though you long for something better, will you be willing to walk in the sheetrock dust for a little while longer? Will you be willing to remember how I've walked faithfully with you. 
And will you make space for people who are in process, church? Will you live needing to hold on to one of these all the time and remembering that there are times when I needed to bring this to meet with you? Pig pens, kitchen remodels, and sloppy, wet kisses in the name of Jesus Christ. That's who we are, and that's what we will be. Oh, as we're closing, I'm going to dismiss you now. I want to dismiss with this ministry opportunity. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to invite you to just pray a little bit. Because some of us are here saying, yeah, nice, nice idea. But I don't feel like I'm walking successfully in the messes. In fact, I feel like the messes have overwhelmed me. And I have lost hope. I'm barely hanging on. You don't have to argue that there are messes out there for me. I feel them every single day, barely holding on to any faith. There are people in this room that feel that. I mean, they're, they're here because this is like a, you know, an hour and 15-minute respite for them. They can barely breathe even here. We're going to take some time and be silent. And I want you to lift to God those that you know in your life that might be feeling that. Yourself, if you're feeling that. And those who are part of our community that you don't know but you're still going to pray for them. They're feeling like they're not being redemptive among the messes. The messes are just too powerful, and they've lost hope. Can we take just a moment of silence and ask God to restore hope, to change things, to give strength to those folks? Let's be silent and pray. Now here's a messy prayer to you, God, if you'll permit us to be frank. If those folks can't find strength from you, if things can't change, if we're victims of a random world, stuff just happens haphazardly, then we're all wasting our time in here worshiping you. but our conviction is that things can change. Our conviction is that you can miraculously, miraculously swell a heart again even when things don't change. That you can give strength for us to face whatever comes at us and even use our brokenness for good. So God, would you change things would you offer hope? Would you restore breath? Would you give employment? Would you restore a broken relationship? Would you bring romance back into that marriage? Would you infuse with patience and love 
the Christian who's trying to work with a contrary coworker? Will you touch physically the body that is broken? And in the middle of this mess in which we live, would you raise your flag of hope, your flag of the gospel, that reminds people that Jesus died so we could have life, that reminds people of the invitation you offer, come follow me. There's nowhere else to find rest for your soul. I'll give you rest. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray.